We're so grateful for God's mercy tonight. Amen. We had a, a great Sunday service. Amen. I, I enjoyed myself. But you know, there's always a battle and there's always a war going on. Satan always wants to, to win. But tonight we're going to we're going to learn some more of God's word. The Bible says the more that we know him, acknowledge him, amen, the more that he will direct our path. And that's what we want him to do is to direct our path tonight. So this is a little bit of a continuation on Sunday. We taught about a few things, end times and the mark of the beast. And I, I said a few things that we would follow up in more detail tonight. It's been about a year and a half since I taught on this. It's been a little while and uh, I want to just refresh us since we are in that season again. Amen. So this is a, a kind of a strange story that, that people, uh, d- many people do not understand or, or know about, but we're going to, to uh, go at it tonight and see if we can get edification. Amen. Because what we're fighting is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war. And one of the things that wins in warfare is intelligence. And knowledge. When you know what the enemy is trying to do, when you understand where he's coming from, Amen. It enables you to to see more clearly. The Bible says that we are not we're not um, uh, deceived by his devices. We're not taken unawares by his devices. So tonight we're going to tell the, the story of how this this battle started, how the war started, and where we're going tonight, and where we're headed, Amen. So tonight I'm, I'm going to teach about the Nephilim. And paradise lost. Now, in Luke chapter 1 4, uh, it says that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast be, been instructed. And we see that Paul did not shy away from teaching some deep things. He did not shy away from teaching some difficult things. And so tonight I'm not going to shy away either from teaching some difficult things. Now, what I'm about to teach tonight is not salvation. It's not necessary for salvation. It is necessary or helpful in this war to understand and know what the enemy's um, devices are. In Acts 20, verse 19, Paul says, And how I kept back nothing that was, what, profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. So tonight I'm, I'm going to make sure that I don't keep back anything that, that uh, is, can be profitable unto you. So we're going to start with a very unusual scripture that's found in the Old Testament that uh, you may not have noticed before. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 11. It says this, Thus shalt ye say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. What a strange scripture. Thus shalt thou say unto the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. That's a very strange scripture, but what it is telling us is that there were beings that had some dominion over this earth. I showed you the scripture in Isaiah on Sunday, which we're going to revisit. And so we're going to go through the whole story of how mankind fell and how that affects us today and what it means for us today. So we're going to start, as usual, in Genesis. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, 
Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. um, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Amen. So we see um, that there was something that was said right at the beginning uh, that kicked all of this off. We have this creature that the Bible in the King James Version calls the serpent. But in Hebrew, that word is nakash, nakash. And uh, the, the word for the in Hebrew is ha, H-A, ha. So it's ha, nakash. So what does that mean? Well, Hebrew is based on three-letter words. You put three letters together, and they're called the root of many, many words that, fill, that build up to form words. And so the root word is the basis for, in the English translation, what we call the noun, which is translated as serpent. So if you take the Hebrew root word, nahash, as a noun, which is how it's translated, then you have the word serpent. But because the Hebrew root words can be also translated as uh, verbs and also as adjectives, if you changed it to uh, interpret it as a verb, then it has a slightly different meaning. As a verb, nahash means deceiver or diviner. And as an adjective, it means shining one, shining one. Isn't that interesting? So as a noun, it can mean serpent. As a verb, an action, it can mean deceiver. And as a description, it can mean shining one. Now, the interesting thing about this is that she didn't seem at all put out to be talking to what the Bible says is a serpent. I would assume that if a serpent started talking to you, you'd either run (laughs) or try and kill it. Amen? But I don't know if you would just sit there and start to have a conversation unless you were used to talking to this thing, unless you had talked with it before, unless you had seen it before, unless you understood its purpose, and it was not a strange thing to be talking to this being. So let's just look at it again. Nahash as an adjective means bright and shining. Anyone know what the word Lucifer means? Light bearing, yes. It comes from, from, from his original name meaning light, um, son of the morning. Or so Lucifer is where we get the word, it's from the Latin Lucifer is where we get the word light. So we can see that this being was in fact a bright and shining being. He may have had in the physical, some kind of serpent-looking characteristics, but he was not just a snake. But this was a being, we can tell from the different translations, from the meanings of the word. Remember, as a noun, it can be translated as serpent, but as a verb, it means it can mean deceiver or deception or diviner. But as an adjective, that is a description, it can, it can mean bright and shining. 
Isaiah 14, 12 kind of aligns with that because it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, or Hillel ben Shekar in the Hebrew, a son of the morning. Lucifer is, is actually, um, in, a, in the chemical sense, a chemical that produces light. Lucifer rays, they call it. Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? So we find, though, that there were requirements in the Bible that God had given when he created Adam and Eve as his children. And there are requirements for sonship even today. The first one would be what? What would you think would be a a requirement to be a son of God? Obedience. Obedience. If you love me, you will. That's the very first definition, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then the requirements that God told in the very first commands was, the next one was to be what? Fruitful. The first commandments were not the Ten Commandments, but are found in Genesis. And it was be fruitful, be multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Obedience, fruitfulness, multiplication, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. So now we see that the story goes that Satan got Eve to disobey God and to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from thence we have Adam and Eve fleeing and hiding, and we've discussed that in previous Bible studies. And when God came to find them, of course, he he questioned each of them in turn. And then finally, he came to the serpent or the Nahash. And from there we get Genesis 3.15. We get the pronouncement upon the serpent of his eventual destruction. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This was a declaration of war. This was saying that there was from now on going to be a state of warfare between the serpent. And it's very careful. You have to read it very carefully. It says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That's one set. And thy seed and her seed. It wasn't just between the serpent and the woman, but it was between his seed and her seed. And so you have to hold that thought in your brain as to what does that mean? And we're going to look at that tonight. Well, the seed of the woman is revealed in the New Testament. When the angel came and said, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name, what? Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. Satan knew from Genesis 3.15 that somehow through the human race, through the woman's capacity to give birth, eventually there was going to be coming somebody who was going to crush his head. Amen. He, he was told, he was given that information that there was going to be coming a deliverer. There was going to be someone coming who was going to take back what he had stolen. Amen. And so from that time, he had a hatred and enmity against mankind. He had a hatred and an enmity against mankind. Now we know from scripture that the angels and all these beings were created before Adam and Eve were created. How can we know that? Well, we can see that from the book of Job. When God is asking Job about these questions that he couldn't answer, he he gives us some 
Interesting information in Job 38 and verse 4. He says to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Now here's the interesting bit. He said, When the morning stars sang together... And all the sons of God shouted for joy. So when the foundation of the earth was laid, man had not been created. Yet it says that the sons of God shouted for joy. What is being revealed here in the in this scripture is that the angels, the beings that were, were there before, created before man, were there to witness the creation of the earth. But the Bible gives us a lot more information specifically about Lucifer and who he was and what was his job and function before he fell. In Ezekiel 28, 14, it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. That's an important phrase. God was the one that gave him his job. It says, Thou art the anointed or chosen cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of of the stones of fire. Let's take a little bit of time to go through this. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Well, we know when Moses was given the instructions for the Ark of the Covenant, he was told to to mold two cherubims on the top of the Ark, one of which had his wings covering this way and another one that had his wings covering that way. There's so much misinformation about Satan. A lot of people teach he's the second most powerful being in the universe. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. What it tells me is I'm going to crush him under my feet. Amen. It says nothing about him being number two and trying to be. All it says he was a cherubim that once covered. Amen. So we can we can discern from that that at most he was one of the angels that stood in the presence of God. Just like in the model that was given to Moses where he was told to take the cherubim and make their wings cover over the mercy seat. All we can gather from that is that he was one of several angels that were in the presence of God. I have said thee so. His first job was created by God. He was made by God to be a covering cherubim. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And I won't really go into that because in the Hebrew that, that means something quite, quite uh, special. But we'll, we'll go to that another night. So we see that he was placed in the garden. And that's why Eve was not surprised to see him there. He was not surprised to see him there. We see many scriptures referring to Satan and his fall. Another one in Ezekiel 28, 12 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So we know it wasn't speaking to the actual king of Tyre because he was never in in the Garden of Eden, it's speaking to the power that was behind him. And in Ezekiel 28:13, it says this, Thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl. And it names in the King James Version nine stones. In the Septuagint, it gives all 12 stones. 
the gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in the, in the day that thou was created. Now, a lot of people say, well, because it references pipes and tablets that he was a musician. Well, he may have been, but that wasn't his principal job. Yes, he may have, he may have had some music to do with music, but that was not what he was created for. I'm going to show you what he was really created for. But this is the origin of Satan and Lucifer. He was created to fill the role of cherubim, which means guardian. He was a guardian. That's all he was, a guardian. That's what cherubim means. And we find that the Bible says, and it goes on in verse 15 to say, thou was perfect. See, God can only create perfect. He never creates Less than perfect. That's not his nature. It's an impossibility. It's just like how God can't lie. A perfect being can only create perfect things. He cannot deliberately create anything less than perfect. So when we see things that are not perfect, you know what we can know right away? God did not do that. God did not do that. Birth defects, God did not do that. People born without limbs, God did not do that. People, It's a libel and a lie to say, call it an act of God. In fact, Jesus, when he came across the man that was born blind from birth, he said he came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came to do. It wasn't God that that makes all these things. God can only create perfect things. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Ezekiel 28.70 goes on to say, Thine heart was lifted up. Because of thy beauty, thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Pride is one of the worst sins. You know, because, as I've said before, if you stole something, you probably know you stole something. If you killed someone, you probably know you killed someone. But you can be proud and have no idea that you're walking around with a stuck-up nose, that you think you're so special. That you think you're God's gift. You can be walking around and have no idea. See, most of the other sins that people commit, they know they did it for the most part. But pride, it creeps up on you. And it's so deceitful. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. He looked at himself and said, man, I am special. He was a beautiful creature, no doubt. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Thou was perfect, past tense, in thy ways from the day thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. See, what happened in Genesis 3.14 is the serpent then deceived Eve, and she ate. Now the Lord God spoke to the serpent and said, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed. A curse was placed upon Lucifer, from the garden. But again, what was his original role? What was he doing in the garden? Why did God allow him in in the first place? If God knows everything, why did he put him in there when he knew he might rebel? Well, let's look at a revelation in the New Testament where Paul gives us a, a, a really great revelation. It's found in Galatians. Now, this is what he says. Now, I say that the heir, who was the heir? Who was the heir in the garden? Who was supposed to rule? To who was dominion given? Okay, so I say now that the heir, that's Adam and Eve, as long as he's a child, differeth nothing from a servant. When a king's baby is born, does he immediately rule? No. 
He's under a, a servant. He's put in, a nanny is put in charge. A governess is put in charge of him. And even though he's the king, going to be the king, until he reaches that, that fulfills the role of kingship, he is still under a tutor and a guardian. This is what Paul is explaining. Now I say that the heir, that's me and you, as long as we are children, as long as we're immature, are differeth nothing from a servant. Adam and Eve differed nothing from a servant when they were first created because they had not yet fulfilled all that God had commanded them. Remember the first five commands? Obedience, fruitfulness, subdue, replenish, right? And, and fill the earth and have dominion. They had only started on the first step. They had not fulfilled the, the title deed that gave them full maturity and rulership. So Galatians 4, tell, 2 tells us that we, are, we were under tutors and governors. That's why Lucifer was in the garden. He was there as a tutor and a guardian. And that's why Eve listened to him. She thought he had pure motives. See, the job of the guardians and the cherubims is put in scripture many times. Psalms 91 verse 11. What does it say? For he shall give his angels. That means they were supposed to look after us. To keep thee in all thy ways. Hebrews 1.14 makes it really plain. It makes no exceptions. It says, are they not all? All. Remember that word, all. What does it say? Ministering spirits. What did we decide minister means to do? To serve. God created all of the angels to serve his children, the heirs of salvation. Are they not all ministering spirits? That's why the moment Daniel prayed, what did God do? He dispatched an angel because he, he was going to, to, to send him to do the bidding because Daniel, his son, had called out. When we pray, God's dis, God dispatches angels. I, I believe that. I've told you repeatedly about my testimony. When I was in a crash, the first two people that were on the scene, I don't know where they came from. One said he was an off-duty policeman. The other lady said she was a nurse. And they showed up like seconds after I crashed. I don't know where they came from, in the middle of the, of the freeway. And one opened the door and said, are you okay? And I said, I looked at myself. And I wasn't sure, but I got out and I didn't have a scratch on me. Amen. Are they not all ministering spirits? This was what Satan, Lucifer at the time, was created to do. He was there as a tutor and a guardian. That's what Galatians 4, 1 says. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, differeth nothing from a servant. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18? Don't mess with one of these little ones. Why? Because their angel doth always behold the face of my father. Isn't that what he said? That's what he said. Their angel doth always be. Don't mess with them because their angel will come after you. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, differeth nothing from a servant, but is lord of all, but is under tutors and, and governors until. Everyone say until. Until the time appointed of the father. If Adam and Eve had fulfilled the destiny, they would have eventually been completely sovereign in their rulership. But because they did not, Satan stole the dominion. It's like when a baby is, a king is born, someone rules in that baby's stead until he comes of age. 
right? There is what they call that when someone else rules. What's the word? No, there's a name for when someone rules in someone's stead until they come of age. But think about it. I'll come there. Amen. Well, we'll come back there. So we see that the angels were given charge over the human race because of the fall. It's like what Adam and Eve did stunted our growth. We never got to the fulfillment of being fully the heirs over this earth. And that's what Hebrews 2 verse 2 is bringing out. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. What that's saying is that up until Jesus, this world was under the dominionship of angels, both good and fallen. Verse 5 makes it plain, though, that that was only for a season. That was only till Jesus arose in Matthew 28 and said, All power, all power, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. When he said that, it was the end. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. That means they no longer have that role anymore. Now they're just here to protect us, but they have no guardianship. They have no, no power to give orders anymore. Amen. So we see that was the, 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 the original role of Satan. He was created to be a guardian, and that's why he was in the garden. Now, at some point, he decided that he should be more than that. Why should these little babies have be, be, the, be the stars of the show? At some point, he looked himself in the mirror, and the Bible says, and his brightness corrupted his wisdom. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is really what Satan wants. He wants to be God. He wants the place of dominion. He wants the place of worship. But the moment he said that, he sinned. The first sin was not committed by Adam and Eve. The very first sin was committed by Satan. At whatever point he decided that he wanted to be more than God had created him to be. In fact, he wanted to be substitute. He wanted worship. He sinned. So Satan had a problem at that point. Lucifer had a problem because now he was losing the covering that he had been given. It said you had been corrupted by your own brightness. He found out and he realized that if he wanted dominion of this planet, God had set up the terms that only a man could legally rule. So he's got a problem. He wants dominion of this planet, but he's not a man. Only a son of man can legally rule. That's in Psalms, I think, 115 verse 16. God says, he hath given the earth unto man. The heavens of heavens is the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The second thing he, he realized why he, he couldn't qualify, the person who rules must be someone who was legally born here. Amen. You can't come in and rule legally from God's perspective. And then the third thing that really upset him, God told him that there was coming a seed to destroy him. There was going to be born eventually someone who was going to be a second son of God. Someone who was going to take away his power. Someone who was going to destroy him. Who was going to crush his head. So he had to come up with a plan to escape judgment. He had to come up with a plan how to escape judgment. See, 
the first thing he did was to deceive. That was his weapon, right? That's what Eve said, the, the, the serpent what deceived me. Serpent de- But to tell you the truth, I've taught before, and I really believe, she wanted to do what he gave her the excuse to do. When people want to do something or want to believe something, they take the first piece of information that supports their worldview. Because it was so easy of her to do what? What could she have done when the serpent said all these things to her? If she had really wanted to verify what he said, what could she have done? She could have asked her husband. She could have gone to Adam and said, is this true? She knew he was created before her. He, she knew he had a, rela- a much longer relationship with God. And we've, we're, we, it's revealed in the New Testament that he wasn't fooled. He was not deceived, the scripture tells us. All she had to do, if she really wanted to check, if she really wanted to know the truth, was either ask Adam or wait and talk to God directly. Because she could have done that. But when we want to believe something, we'll take the first thing that supports what we want to believe. Isn't that true? We will not check it. That's why in Acts 17, Paul said the Bereans were more noble than the rest because everything he said, you know what they did? Where is that found, Paul? Brother Paul, let me, are you quoting that right? Let me look that up. Let me see if that's so. Because preachers tend to quote stuff that's not in the Bible. (laughs) That's not in the Bible or taken out of context. Right? So you, it's upon you to check you have to be more noble than the Bereans. If she had want, not wanted to eat the apple, all she had to do was say, Adam, is that true? And he'd have said, no, that's a lie. But she, I really believe she wants, when we want to do something, we'll take the first thing that says yes, because that's, that's the direction we want to go. I was almost tempted to write something in Facebook today, but I, I refrained myself, because I was thinking about how, how easily some people are deceived. I'll tell you the story I was going to write, so, so it'll be out there. When I, when I was in my teens, uh, um, at my school, they were starting all kinds of sports. And one of the sports they were trying to get people involved in was judo. And so I went the first night and I watched. And I was so impressed because there was this guy about my height and a little bit lighter than me. And he was fighting this big dude who was about 6'5 and 230 pounds. And he was just throwing him every two seconds. The guy got up and he didn't stay on his feet for more than 10 seconds. He was on his back again. I thought, wow, that's impressive. I want to know how to do that. I want to know how to do that. So I started in the class and I, I did it for a number of years and I got, got pretty good. I got a few belts. Um, I can't do it now, but I still know the principles. Um, but one of the, the secret for judo is using the other person's strength. Now, you may wonder where I'm going with this. So if someone is pushing, you pull them. If they're resisting, you push them. That way, you're adding your own strength in the direction they already want to go. Do you understand that's what Satan's doing with a lot of people? They're already wanting to believe something that's not true, so he adds some more to it. And before you know it, they don't check. They just go and you find that they have fallen over. Very soon they have fallen over. You see, Satan, his most powerful weapon is deception. He will mix truth with error. And because people want to hear some stuff, they will just drink it up. They will never check. Amen. This is what Second Peter says. For this they willingly are ignorant. 
How can you be willingly ignorant? It's because you don't want to hear the truth because you like things the way they are. Because you know if you hear the truth, you're going to have to change. For this they willingly are ignorant of, but that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water. The Bible said that they ignored the truth because as we've shown many times, Adam, according to scripture, lived to his seventh generation. Seventh generation. I've come across a few people I know in our church. There's a few people who have great grandchildren. I'm only on the grandchildren part, but there's some that have the great. But Adam lived to see his seventh generation. That means that there were 10 million people possibly on the earth that knew the absolute truth that there was a God and the story of creation. It wasn't that they had to be preached to or told anything because there was great, 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 great grandfather Adam running around. There was no doubt. This is why God did not have mercy because, as Peter says, for this they are willingly ignorant. And Romans, Paul makes explain what happened. They changed the truth of God because they don't want to believe the truth into a lie. And then started to worship and serve the creature. In other words, the fallen ones more than the creator who is blessed forever. So now let's go into the story. Remember now Satan has a problem. He's found out he's going to get crushed. So he's not one to give up. I mean, logically, if it was me, I would say, how can you fight God and win? You know, why is he even bothering? He must know he can't win. Well, the truth is, he knows he can't win, but he's come up with a a delay strategy. And the delay involves us. He knows that God loves us. And so basically what his plan is to take the human race hostage. You know, that's what a kidnapper does when the police come, because he doesn't want to get shot. So what does he do? Okay. He takes a hostage. And the police can't shoot, or they he believes the police won't shoot because he doesn't want to kill the hostage. This is exactly what Satan has done. He has taken the human race hostage because of God's love for us. Amen. So his first plan was to somehow change what the name that God had called us. In the beginning, the Bible says God created the heaven and earth. And then he said, let us make man in what? Our image and in our likeness. So Satan And the beings that followed him decided that if they could change the definition of what a human being was, then there would be no one to fulfill the charter to inherit the earth. So we see this strange scripture in Genesis 6 verse 4. And it was many years ago I was reading this and it just, a revelation hit me. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that. And it was the after that, that that really was the revelation. Okay, so there were giants. We've read many mythologies about that, you know, Greek myths about Hercules and Zeus. So what? But then the part that hit me, it said, and also after that. And I thought, what does it mean after that? After what? And then I realized that the context was the flood. What the Bible was saying is that there were giants in the earth in those days and also after the flood. And then it hit me. How could that be? Where did these giants come from? Because we know only Noah and his family survived the flood. So where could these... So they can't be ordinary. they got to be supernatural. Because we know that only Noah and his 
family, eight souls in all, survived the flood. So if there were giants before the flood and after the flood, they can't have come from the lineage necessarily directly of Noah. And this is exactly what the Bible was trying to say. In those days there were giants also after that. And it explains. In Job, we read that it said the sons of God rejoiced at when? What did it say in Job 38 verse 4? At the creation of the earth. What was it identifying the sons of God as? The angels. The Benai Elohim, the sons of God. It now says, when the Benai Elohim came in unto the daughters of men. What it is telling us is something that a lot of people uh, have never conceived or understood. That the angels, the fallen angels that is, came in unto the daughters of men and had offspring. Mutations. Giants. And they bear children to them. The same became, and in the Hebrew, giborim, it means mighty men that were old, of old. Men of, and the King James kind of hides a lot of things. That word renown, it comes from the Hebrew word shem. It means name. Men of a new name. In other words, a new race. A new name. We are homo sapiens, right? A new race. Scientists have discovered that there are all kinds of different genuses that they found a DNA for. They don't say they're giants, but they have found a DNA for skulls that are much bigger than what humans now have. So we see, though, that there's so much evidence that this actually happened, even outside of the Bible. We, we read um, by the Jewish historian uh, Josephus, who was telling the story of the Jews from the beginning of Genesis up until the time of Jesus. And he wrote in this book, in his book, in Book 1, chapter 3 says, For many angels of God accompanied with women and begat sons that proved unjust, despisers of all that was good. This is the abomination that brought the flood. This is the abomination that brought the flood. What Satan was trying to do was to intermingle himself with the human race. Therefore, God would have to either destroy the human race or let him escape. You understand what was going on here? In the book of Enoch, which is a, um, not a biblical book, but was written during that period, it tells the same story. Verse 2, it says, When the angels, the sons of heaven, beheld them, they became enamored of them, saying to each other, Come, let us select for ourselves wives from the progeny of men, and let us beget children. So this is what happened in Genesis and was the cause for the flood, because God decided to wipe these things out. And it is also the reason... Later on, when the children of Israel came back into Canaan, that the Bible seems so harsh because God told them he, they had to wipe all these tribes out. Because remember what it said, there were giants on the earth before the flood and after the flood. Satan did it again. It worked once. Let me try it again. Let me do it again. In the book of Jubilees, which is in the apocryphal books, the same story is told. The angels of the Lord descended on earth, those who were named the watchers, that they should instruct the children of men. That was what they were supposed to be doing, that they should do judgment and uprightness of purpose. That was God's original intent. But instead, when they rebelled and followed Satan, they decided to stop the judgment that would come by trying to intermingle themselves with the children of men. And this, I'm not going to read it all because it tells the story. In fact, the Bible even gives us the place where this happened. 
The Bible gives us the, the, the place in, 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 in the Hebrew where this first happened. When you look at the names that are given in Genesis, you get down to Jared, Jared which means to descend. And in the book of, of Jubilees and in some of the other books, it tells us that it was in the time of Jared, that's why his name that, that these angels descended. And in fact, the river Jordan, Yardain, is named for the place of the descent, which is where these fallen beings infested. And so you see what happened. Now, after the flood, God took the children of Israel out of Canaan and put them in Egypt. And it seemed like, God, what are you doing? You made Abraham come all the way to Ur of the Chaldees, and now you're telling them to come out of the land and go into Egypt. Now you're going to keep them down in Egypt for 400 and something years. But God had a plan. When they came back, and they came up to the Jordan, and they sent the 12 spies... The reason why they didn't go into Jordan, what was it for? Numbers 13.33. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, which come from the Nephilim. We seemed like what? Grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You understand that God's plan was to use the children of Israel to clean out the land. Instead, they got fearful. They got fearful. It says, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, which come from the Nephilim. And this was what happened. Now, as I said to you, the Bible is very clear on the lineage that no one survived the flood except Noah. But yet, all of a sudden, all these strange tribes start to appear. Raphaim, Genesis 14.5. The Anakim. The prideful ones in Numbers 13, 28. These are the names of tribes that were in the land of Canaan. The Emim, the proud deserters, Genesis 14, 5. The Zuzim, they're not even hiding that one. That, that's the, <laughs> the evil ones. <laughs> Your tribe is named the evil ones. You're not even trying to be subtle or hide anything. The Zamzuzamin, the evil plotters, Deuteronomy 2.20. This is amazing, but all these names are in the Bible. These are all tribes that started to infest the land of Canaan. The Zophim, the watchers in Daniel 14.7 and Numbers 23. The Seferim, the many, and so on. Now, what the plan was, as I said, the fallen ones sought to merge with the bloodline of Adam. Do you remember the image, Daniel's image, and I told you about the metal, Right? And then the metal trying to do what? Mix with the iron and the clay. Because they knew that there was going to come a son of God. If they could corrupt the bloodline, then guess what? No son of God. If they could change the definition of what God had created, Adam, to something else, there could be no son of God. Now, scientists have done experiments cross-breeding animals. And two results happen when you do that. If you mate, I think, a male lion with a female tiger, you get what's called a liger. And surprisingly or unsurprisingly enough, that liger is gigantic. You can look it up on Google, Google liger, and you will see that the animal that results from this cross-breeding is a giant. It's like 10 feet tall and weighs 900 pounds. All you have to do is look that up. I should have put a picture in there. So we see that this is what the, the fallen beings wanted to do because if they could have stopped the human race from producing, then there could have been no savior. 
See, Satan knew that through the woman, the seed of the woman was going to come a deliverer. And so they start to get themselves entangled into the seed of men. See, Genesis 1.31 tells us that this wasn't the way it was at the beginning. It says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning was the sixth day. That's Genesis 1. Five chapters later, just five chapters later, Genesis 6.5. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. What should scare us is because Jesus pointed back to this time and say, so it shall be. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the days of the coming. So we are, we are, Jesus pointed back to this time as the marker to know when he is coming. Now, why was Noah chosen? If the earth had become corrupted, why was Noah chosen? Well, the Bible tells us that too. Number one, he was obedient. Number one, he, two, he had faith. But there was something else about Noah and his family line that God had preserved. When we read Genesis 6, 9, look what it says. These are the generations of Noah. And Noah was a just man. And what does it say? Perfect in his generations. The thing that Satan was trying to do was corrupt the bloodline. But Noah's bloodline had been kept free from the taint of these beings. So the Bible tells us that Noah was perfect in his generations. And in the Hebrew, the word is tamin. And it refers to fleshly perfection physically untarnished so not only was he obedient not only was he a man of faith but also God had preserved the bloodline that there would still be a seed every time Satan thinks he's he's won and he's found a way to stop the plan of God God always has an answer God always he was I'm sure he was so happy he figured now okay God has got to destroy the human race Therefore, the prophecy that there's coming someone to destroy me, not going to happen. Do you understand what his plan was? Let's mess this place up so bad that God will have to erase everybody. But Noah found grace. Noah, unmerited favor. Amen. God always has a plan of salvation. And Lord God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted. You know, when you look at the Greek mythology, you find it's not only giants, but there were half man, half animals. There were centaurs, there were half bullhead. There were all, I am convinced that not only did this um, genetic messing happen with humans, but they did it with everything. And that's why God destroyed all flesh. That's why for all flesh had what? What does it say? corrupted his way upon the earth. This was the reason that all the animals that breathed there were destroyed. So you know now the reason why. So to be adopted sons of God, you understand now why we must be born again. Because the first birth was corrupted. Now, here's an incredible verse in the scripture, 1 Peter 1, 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed. Do you get the hint? Not of corruptible seed, because the first seed was corrupted. But the seed we're born now with is the Spirit of God. That can't be corrupted. That can't be touched. That can't be messed with. 
but of incorruptible. How? By the word of God, which abideth and liveth forever. Once you understand what happened in Genesis 6, some of the, all of these other scriptures start to make sense. That's why we have to be born again. He wouldn't have put not of corruptible seed if he wasn't referring to what happened. But he says, but of, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God. Which, he, which liveth and abideth forever. Amen. That's how, why we have to be born again. That's why Jesus said you can't make it unless you are born of the water and of the spirit. Why? Because our first birth was corrupted. We are now born without a spirit covering. We're just born a, a son of man. But we have to be born into the kingdom afresh to become a son of God. Amen. So he, God explained what was happening. Now, look at this scripture. And I read it Sunday and I said I would come back and explain the background. An amazing scripture in Isaiah 26, 12, which is explaining what had happened. Lord, you established peace for us. He's talking about Genesis 1. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us, O God, our God. But other lords, what? Other lords besides you have ruled over us. He's speaking about the fallen beings. But your name alone do we honor. What, what's happened in verse 14? They are now dead. God destroyed all the giants before the flood. They live no more, those departed spirits. And in the Hebrew, we know it's spirits because the word is Rapha. And that's where that tribe came from, the Rephaim. They do not rise. You punish them. And brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. And that's why scientists poo-poo the idea of giants because they can't find any trace of them. I'm not surprised. What does it say here? You wiped out all memory of them. They only exist now in myths. Hercules. Hercules, who's was, who was Hercules' father? Zeus. A semi-god or a god. And who was his mother? A woman. You understand? It's the myth of what happened. It's the Nephilim. All of these mythical beings, Perseus, father of a god, mother of woman. It's, it's the myths that have been passed down that come from the truth of what happened. And the reason I said is that all of those demons, spirits, were ejected during the flood and, and, and put into the abyss. That's what I taught son. And so now, when they are released during the tribulation, you know what they're looking for? Bodies. They are looking for a body. Matthew 8, 31. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away. Into, they'd rather go into the pigs than go into the abyss. They would, they'd rather go into the pigs just for a little bit. And he said, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a sleep, steep place into the sea, and perished in the waters. Job 26.5 says, Dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Now they used the pigs as a way of escape. And for now the Lord let them. Because it wasn't his time yet to, to bring judgment. But it's coming. And the reason why scientists can't find any evidence is of course God doesn't leave traces. When God wants to erase something, you're not going to find anything. <laughs> if God says it's gone, it's gone. Isn't that great? Because he says he's cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. So they're not going to find any trace of Nephilim because God says I wiped out all memory of them. Now why would he do that? Well, it's because he doesn't want any trace 
of these things to be worshipped or to be made into occult symbols, which if they found any of it, that's exactly what they would do. It would start another religion. Now, I'm going to go to the New Testament, and I don't have much time here, but Jesus really explained it. But a lot of people read it and don't understand it. And the disciples came to him, Matthew 13, 10, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered unto them, saying, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. So then he started to explain four parables. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, went in the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, We don't understand. Can you explain? Declare unto us the parable of the tears of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are who? It's very plain here. The children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Isn't that what Genesis 3.15 says? That there will be enmity between the woman's seed and your seed. Now, here's something quite interesting, which we haven't taught them, but I will. Then came the disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. So what does that say about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do we ever hear of that tree again? No, it's gone. When we get to Revelation, we hear about the tree of life, but we never hear about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That should tell you or give you a hint, and we'll teach on that coming up. He says, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted, no, no, no bad seed is going to get in there, shall be rooted up. There is coming a time of harvest. Matthew thirteen thirty. Let them both grow together. You see, this time, when Satan did this thing again after the flood, he did not try and kill everybody. He did not try and do this. He said, but let them grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat, the wheat into my barn. Psalms 21, 9. This is another interesting scripture. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. That means during the, 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 um, the great tribulation. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath and the fire shall destroy them. Verse 10. Now read this carefully. Their fruit shall thou destroy from the earth. Their seed from among the children of men. So they're not children of men. Their seed from among the children of men. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that awesome? See, God is allowing Satan to infiltrate for the time being. That's why he's going to take us up. That's why we are sealed with the Spirit. So when that trumpet sounds, when that voice rings out, it says, come up hither. We're gone. We're out of here. Amen. See, people say, well, how can that be? Because Jesus said that the angels neither marry or given in marriage. But they're forgetting one other thing he said. Let's read it very carefully. Matthew twenty two thirty, For in the resurrection, they, are ne- they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as the angels of God, where? In heaven. In heaven, you can't do that. There's no cohabitation. 
There's no uh, marriage uh, thing in heaven. But that's why they left heaven. For in the resurrection, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now, look what the book of Jude says. And the angels which kept not their first estate. Where is their first estate? Heaven. But left their own habitation. Because they couldn't do it in heaven. He hath reserved in judgment, reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of that great, great day. Now he's comparing what the angels did with the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. What was the principal sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Strange flesh. Going after, all, they, they, they practice not only homosexuality and every other thing, they also practice bestiality. They also practice bestiality. Going after, in the Greek it's hetero, it means different. Different in kind. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, it's comparing what these angels did, which we know that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was sexual. It's saying in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange, different from themselves. In other words, they were cohabiting with the humans and are set forth as an example. The reason why God had to finally stop it because they wouldn't stop. After the flood, they started up again. So God locked most of them up. But he still left those that had been created running around the earth. And this is where we get demon possession from. He left, they left their habitation. And the Greek word is okateria, and it means house or dwelling place. And for this, it's the same word that Paul uses for talking about when we are covered with our new bodies. It's the same word. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 2 says, For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our own house, Okaterian, which is from heaven. That's exactly what they did. They could not do that mess up there. But they needed to come down here to do their rebellion. So they disrobed, that's what Jude is telling us, of their angelic heavenly house in order to enter the terrestrial realm to carry out their plan. So part two of the plan I'm going to run over this a little bit. At first, Satan said, I'm going to destroy all of humanity. If I can get God to destroy all of humanity, then there can be no Savior born. But then he found out, well, I don't have to destroy all of humanity. He found out that Abraham, the Semitic line, was the one that was chosen. And then he found out that God was going to give Canaan to the Jews, to Abraham's descent. So you know what he did? He infested Canaan. That's why when they came out of Egypt, the place was full of giants, the Amorites that had been descended from the giants. Remember, who was it who David had to fight? A giant, a mutant, a mutant. This is the reason that upon their return to Canaan, the children of Israel found the land infested with mutants, descendants of the Nephilim, giants with six fingers and six toes. Second Samuel 21, 20. And there was yet a battle in Gath where there was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes. Four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. You see, we're living in end times. Satan wanted to stop the birth of the Messiah. He thought if he could corrupt the human bloodline, and I'm going to stop here because we're not going to finish. He could defeat God's plan of first having a human born who could rule. But then what God does? What does God do to brilliantly outmaneuver Satan? 
A virgin birth. A virgin birth. So that his father was not a human, but he was carried in the womb. The blood of the father. You understand? Because it's the blood of the father that the child always has, not the blood of the mother. You see how even even in trying to corrupt the bloodline, it failed. Because here comes God and says, there's going to be a virgin shall conceive. A virgin. So there was no human um, genesis for his blood. But yet he was fully human because that's where the seed came from. Genesis said the seed of the woman. But the blood was from the father. Do you see that? Let us stand to close this, this part of our Bible study. See, you can't beat God. You cannot beat God. So when Satan thought he had won and he had corrupted the bloodline, here comes the virgin birth. He must have been shaking and scratching his head. I never thought of that. Didn't see that one coming. Man, didn't see that coming. Because the thing that shall be is of the Holy Spirit and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The seed was of the woman, but the blood was of the father. That's how they tell a child's paternity, right? They do a blood test. God, uh, who's, whose child is this? They have to do a blood test, and, and when they match, they know who the father is. We have to make sure that our blood is of the father, that he, it's been applied to us. So that when Satan comes to do a blood test, he can find nothing. Amen. The seed of the flesh is of the flesh, but the blood... Amen. The Bible says having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience because the blood of Christ hath redeemed us. In Revelation it says they overcame him by their testimony and by the blood. Amen. So you see at every step Satan has been defeated. Amen. There's a lot more to this. We may continue the rest of it because there's so much more that God has got planned. Amen. So let us close this part. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Let it inspire. Let it build faith. Let us trust you even more as we see the day approaching because we now know we are in the days of Noah. Lord, your coming is very soon. We ask you, O God, to help us to be ready, to be prepared, and to look up for our redemption draweth nigh. Lord, we ask you for your blessing when we leave here. Lord, surround us with your spirit. Lord, let our souls, O God, and our spirits stand upon your word to believe and to trust you. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. If you could give God a praise offering right now. Amen.